0: I think I was nine or ten years old. I don't remember exactly the year. I called my mom and asked her, and she said that's about right. Uh, I don't remember a lot of the details, but what I do remember is that it was my mom's birthday, and I wanted to do something super special for her. Okay, and so I decided that what I was going to do for my mom's birthday was I, at nine years old, was going to prepare dinner for the family. That's right. Uh, now here's the thing: I didn't. Um, run it by my parents at all. Didn't talk to them at all. What I did instead was I just went into the pantry and I started digging around and I'm like, okay, what does mom need? You know, and so I'm looking through all these things like spices and stuff to make other things. I don't understand how to use any of that. I mean, I was like, what, what is it going to be? And then, uh, we had a few options. Okay, we have bread. I can make a sandwich. Sandwiches, that's not going to do for mom. You know, we have some canned foods, but mom doesn't need SpaghettiOs. It's her birthday. And then I saw it and it clicked. Two things. Number one, we had like 20 packs of ramen noodles. Yeah, mom would love that. She just would love that. And also we had like five of those boxes of the Jello, o uh, like the chocolate pudding mix. You know, you just add milk and mix it up. Yeah, dude, what else could you want for your birthday? And so, uh, now this is back in the 80s, back before we had, um, what do you call it? Uh, parental supervision. Um, <laughs> I don't know where my parents were, I have no clue. Uh, we didn't do that back then, as most of you know. Uh, today we're like helicoptering over our kids, like don't touch that, kids are like, my, my parents are like, did you eat a you know, worm today? Cool, good job. So I just go to town, okay, and I'm like boiling water, and, uh, and, and I was well into the process before my dad walks into the kitchen, total 80s dad, and he walks in, and he's just like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm making dinner, he goes, okay. <laughs> walks out, I have a vat of ramen noodles. Those things, they really swell up, okay? When you add water, they really swell up. In the biggest bowl in our house, full of chocolate pudding, and oh, man, uh, when my mom got home, she was so surprised (laughs) and happy. You know, they say it's the thought that counts. I'm not sure if that's true. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But you know, uh, she loved it. She really loved it. Here's the deal. We are not always adequately Prepared to do the things that our heart wants to do. You follow me on that? Like you got a big idea, but you don't have the toolbox or even the skills with which to use the tools if you had the toolbox to pull off the thing that you want to pull off. Maybe it's your heart's biggest desire. Here's the thing though when it comes to God, sometimes really all He wants from us is our availability, not even so much our ability. And so we're in this teaching series right now. We're calling it Jumpstart. And the whole idea of this series is we we wanted to kick off our year, 2020, a new decade with a jumpstart question. What will it take for me to grow my faith? You see these people who are just superstars of faith, they have this unshakable faith and you're just like, how do you do it? Like, how can you make it through all this stuff? And so what we've discovered is that there are some kind of Themes in the lives of people who have strong faith, and uh, Andy Stanley is a preacher down in Georgia who uh, who was the first one to kind of coin these five catalysts for uh, for for growing your faith. So I want to give credit where credit's due, but we've been going over those, and we've looked at two so far. We looked at practical teaching as our first catalyst for growing our faith, and the idea is we need to put ourselves in environments where we're going to grow our faith. So whether it's in teaching on a Sunday morning, or you're listening to a podcast, or you're uh, regularly sitting with an accountability group, or you're in a Bible study, or you have a mentor, you're, you're being taught, you're putting yourself as practical teaching, though. So you're hearing the teaching, but you're putting it into practice, practice, practice. Remember that. And the second, time, the second thing we talked about was this idea of pivotal relationships. When you see people with this unshakable faith, you will find, without a doubt, I happen to know about Ed, who was just up here, that there were people along his path, one of them is in this room right now, uh, Jeremy, his buddy, uh, who was a pivotal relationship, who because of that relationship, the, the faith shifted some and began to grow. And, and, and we all have those people in our life where if we don't, we talked last week about what does it mean to foster those relationships and to pray for them and to get them. And so if you've missed these, these first couple principles, I, I encourage you to go check out the podcast that we have and, and catch up. This week as we get into uh, this third catalyst for spiritual faith growth, I, I got good news, okay? The good news is this. No matter where you are on your faith journey, no matter how many good skills you have, you can jump on this Today because this is about putting something into practice now, about starting where you are and letting that thing grow in your life. And the thing we're calling it is personal ministry. If you wanna grow your faith, you, you gotta get in the trenches. You gotta let the rubber hit the road. You've gotta do something for the kingdom of God. It's personal ministry. But it doesn't have to be move your family to the Dominican Republic. Maybe that's where God will have you eventually, but it starts right here, right now, with what I've got. And so to get there, I want to look at some Scripture from the Bible. We always look to the Bible for God's most important truths. And we're going to be in the book of Matthew again this morning. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and crack that thing open. The book of Matthew is in the last third of our Bibles. Uh, Matthew is one of the four biographies of the life of Jesus. Uh, I want to tell you, if you don't have a Bible this morning, feel free to grab one off the shelf by the front door. And if you don't own a good Bible, keep that. That's yours. We want to give away free Bibles to people who need them. But uh, take that. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 and starting in verse 13. And we're just gonna jump right into the middle of a story that's going on in Jesus' life. So Matthew chapter 14, and the scripture will also be on the screen behind me. It says that when Jesus heard what had happened, we'll talk about that sentence in just a second. He heard something that happened, so he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Okay, here's what's happened. Jesus has just heard the news, really bad news, that his cousin, John, we call him John the Baptist, who had been imprisoned uh, for some crazy circumstances has just been executed by King Herod. And to make matters worse, it was was a sick situation. You can read about it in the first half of chapter 14 there. Basically, Herod has some people over at his house, he's having a party, and just to kind of show off for one of his party guests, he has John the Baptist beheaded. Like, what, sicko? And so, Jesus just heard about this. This is his friend, this is his cousin, this is like, And many people believe he was a mentor, maybe even a rabbi to Jesus. It's like, man, wow, he's crushed. And maybe you've been in one of those moments. Uh, I know for me, and it's crazy, but uh, I mean, we we had the passing of Kobe Bryant this past week. And like, that was big news around the country. As people who weren't even basketball fans, it hits you, not because maybe you knew him or because you were a big basketball fan, but but just because you're just like, man, there's just this mortality involved in that. You're like, when someone bigger than life and you got John the Baptist who was this person and like people just, he really kicked off the ministry of Jesus and he's just gone. And so Jesus has this emptiness and, and this is what I, I hate about this story, but I also love about Jesus. He's trying to get away. You've ever been there? I just need to get away. So he gets in a boat, he hops in the lake, he's trying to get away. And the crowds, he had become very popular by this time. Thousands of people are, are trekking out to find Jesus and hear him teach. Primarily, I think, because they wanted to see a spectacle. The guy was doing miracles. He was healing people. He was proclaiming all these things. The way that he taught was just like, wow. They said, this guy teaches like someone with authority like we've never heard before. And so they would just, and so Jesus is trying to get away. And the crowd goes, ooh, ooh, There's Jesus. And so they, they just follow him and it's a lake where you can kind of see and he's, they're like following him. And so that when he gets to the other side where he's about to get out, they just kind of pounce on him there. I hate that about that story that Jesus didn't get this time away. What I love about the story is what Jesus does anyway because uh, he really could have been like, guys, come on, give me a minute. But instead he does something else. We pick it up at verse 14. When Jesus had landed and saw a large crowd, he said, go away, stop annoying me. No, it says, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. I mean, maybe that's all you needed to hear today. Maybe are like, you know what? Maybe my kids are not so bad. Uh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I need to hear that too. Verse 15, he says, as even approached, the disciples came to him. These are Jesus's followers, his closest group. And we're talking about the 12 here. It said, and they said to him, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. So how about let's send the crowds away so that they can go home and, and, and eat? Very practical, okay? The disciples are tired. They see that Jesus has had a hard day. They're like, dude, Jesus, man, you know what he just went through, right? Let's just give him a minute. Let's send the crowds home. It's very practical. I, I have, uh, you know, been in situations, I, you know, we live in Eastern North Carolina. You ever been out of gas in like, I don't know, just some remote place you're just like, uh, okay, well, Lord, uh, Jesus take the wheel <laughs> and I hope this car runs on, you know, oxygen. Because I got no gas and there's no gas station. And so these, these guys are seeing that. They're like, we're in the middle of nowhere. There's no restaurants around here. We don't have enough food. And I love what Jesus says here. He goes, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And the disciples have to have been like, what? Did he just say, like, how are we supposed to do that? We, we, only, we brought food for us. But, and, but here's the thing. Jesus is their rabbi. And in the teaching style of the rabbis of this era, I have heard this, and I I see it to be true in Scripture. These guys hardly do anything without having a reason behind it, the rabbis. Everything's a teachable moment. And so the disciples must have known that. They're like, okay, what's the trick? Okay, what's the lesson? All right, you want us to feed the people? Let's feed the people. Peter, we're gonna feed the people. What have we got? So So they look in their bags or whatever, and in verse 17 it says, well, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, which I gotta give them some props here. Because if it's me... We're going to find out later on that there are over 5,000 people there. So if it's me, I'm looking at a crowd of 5,000 people, Jesus, the people are going to be hungry soon, let's send them home. No, you feed them. Okay. I mean, do I really need to go through the motions of going in my bag and showing you how little food we have? Or can we just agree? Just what's the lesson, Jesus? But they, they take it a step farther. They bring it to him. We get to verse 18. Check this out. You got a highlighter. You got a... Pencil, some. This is about to become your favorite verse of scripture. It hit me in right square in the chest, and it's, it's so silly, I've missed it. Look at verse 18. It, it, this is what Jesus says. He says, Bring them here to me. Now, that might not have been like a, ooh, mama for you, but check it out, because this, this, this verse is, man, whatever you're going through, this verse is gonna be good for you. And don't get ahead of me, okay? Some of you might have grown up in church, you know Jesus is gonna do a pretty amazing thing here. Don't get ahead of me, okay? Spoiler, Jesus is about to do a miracle and he's gonna feed 5,000 plus people. So they only counted the men in this group. So it's 5,000 plus women and children. So it's a large group. That's the spoiler, but don't get ahead of me because I wanna go to where the disciples are right now. They don't know yet what Jesus is about to do. They have no clue. They're just like... Okay, we got, this, we got this bread, we got this fish. And Jesus is like, okay, bring that here to me. Oh, here it comes. This is where Jesus does something awesome. Here it comes. Okay, here you go, Jesus. What's gonna, it's gonna rain fish? What's gonna happen? And then it says down here, um, well, let's pause there. Let's pause there. Okay, because, because I, I, want, I wanna go through this moment. Jesus says, is that all you got? And they're like, yeah, that's all we got. And Jesus' response is like, Perfect that's great. And so here, here's what I want to kind of paint a picture for you as we think about the life we live in. The disciples have seen a need. There's going to be a bunch of hungry people, okay? They look at what they have, and there's some decisions that need to be made. I want to open our eyes for a second about some needs. Maybe you know about some needs. I was just looking online about our county this week, and I read that uh, Over 430 people in New Hanover County County right now are homeless. That's actually 30% higher than a year ago. That's a great need in our city. There are dozens of kids in our county who are in need of foster care placement. They need a home and some people who have enough love to let them in. That's a great need, and we talked about that many times here on a Sunday morning. We live in a city that's been called the center of opioid addiction in America. You know how big America is? And people go, where is it the worst? Wilmington, North Carolina. That's a great need here, lots of needs. Did you know that one in four children in our county live in food insecurity? Which means they don't know if they're gonna get dinner tonight. We have groups like Nourish NC that we talk about that help take care of that need. There's a great need. Right here in this room, in this room today, or in this room every day, is uh, the YMCA after school care, okay? And so they've got a bunch of kids who come here from all over the area and most of them, a lot of them are here on scholarship from the YMCA and many of them, you know what they need more than anything? Just a good role model in their life to come and read a book with them or spend some time with them. Um, That's just a short list and that's not even the people that you directly know about. That's me just checking out Google and finding some things about New Hanover County, There's a great need. And my guess is that you've noticed some of that and that you know about some other things. And I'm guessing that, like me, you've gone to God and said, God, isn't there anything you can do about this? Can you do anything about this? These people are hurting. You know, they need something. And then Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, You give them something to eat, you get involved. And when I look at this list, it seems impossible. It seems absurd. How? Like how in the world? And maybe you feel unqualified. Maybe you feel unprepared. Maybe you feel like, I can't do anything. This is a huge issue. I can't do anything. But what have you got in your bag? You got 30 minutes a week you could spend with a kid who just needs some time. Somebody help them learn how to read. You got an afternoon to spend volunteering with Vigilant Hope who helps feed homeless people or nourish and see who packs meals for kids living in food insecurity. You got some time and some life experience because you have learned in the school of hard knocks how life goes that you could spend with a young couple just trying to get through their first couple of years of marriage. What's in your bag? And Jesus says, bring that here to me. You see what that's such an awesome verse? Because it hits us all right where we are. It doesn't have to be anything huge. Because God is the one with the real power. He's the one with the ability to make things happen. But he wants us to bring him what we've got. And then he wants to use it. This is our catalyst today. Personal ministry. Getting in the trenches, where the rubber meets the road, just being available. And finding the place where you can serve. And, and don't worry. Like if, if, if what you're looking at seems impossible, maybe absurd, Jesus knows that. What you got? Just come bread, some fish. Perfect. Bring that here to me. Verse 19. As he directed the people to sit down on the grass, and he directed people to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, so he takes it from the disciples, and he looks up to heaven and he prays, and then he... Gave it back to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the people. That happened so fast, I had to read it several times to make sure that I read it right. Did you notice this they give him five loaves and two fish, and then he takes it, and then he gives it right back to them. He doesn't give them 5,000 loaves of bread, he doesn't give them 5,000 pieces of fish. You, know, you get the little lunch? Sweet, cool, let's pray. All right, hand this out. And then the disciples just do. It's the only thing they know to do. It's like, well, okay, I guess I'll give out one piece of bread. <laughs> Excuse me, Mister uh, you know, Hezekiah, would you, would you like some bread? You know? And he's like, yeah. Now, and I have I heard this story my whole life, and I have I wish I wish there was video footage of this. I wish that I could have seen this because he like gives. What does it look like? I don't know. Maybe Peter's got two loaves of bread, and he gives, and they're in his bag, and he pulls it out and he hands it to the guy. He's like, okay, well, we're down to one loaf, two loaves. What in the world? He does again and I'm gonna watch it this time. So that begins to I don't know if he does that. I don't know. I don't know if he's like, I'm gonna hand you a fish, and like as he grabs the fish, like it just becomes two fish. He's like, What? Like, I don't know, and it blows my mind. I I wish we could have seen it. What I'm imagining is that it begins to happen, the people at the front of the crowd are like, okay, we're gonna eat. What? What? And they're like Check this out. And I think this might be why Jesus was like, y'all sit down, y'all sit down. Because <laughs> you're, you're gonna wanna rush the stage here in a minute, just sit down. And I, I just imagine the word spreading to the back of the crowd. This, something crazy's happening up here. And let's keep on going. It says in verse 20, they all ate. And they were satisfied. You, you've all eaten before. Have you, have you ever been like unsatisfied? Yeah. Oh man. We made chicken wings a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> And uh, at my house, we're making them for the Super Bowl tonight. I just found out the Cowboys didn't make it. <laughs> Dixie told me that broke my heart. I wore my Jason Whitten shirt and everything. I was ready. Anyway. <laughs> but we, we wanted chicken wings, and uh, we had like, what did we have, Lindsay? We had 16 wings, I think, in the freezer. But we still wanted chicken wings. There's four of us. So we made it. And we're like, oh, it's going to be so good. And then each of us ate four wings, and we we're like, this was a bad idea. <laughs> but these people ate and they were satisfied. Because when God enters into a situation, he takes care of it completely. I'm gonna cry, because this has been my life. How many times that I have stepped back and gone, God, I, I couldn't even ask for more. Because you have satisfied me so completely. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men and women, besides women and children. How does personal ministry grow your faith? In my life, it's been this I face a time where I need to trust God, and I don't know. It seems absurd, it seems impossible. But because I have been on the ground with people before, I know that God is faithful because I've seen it happen before, and so I'm willing to try again. I can imagine there were times in the apostle's life, I can think of all the times where the apostle Peter had to lead against, you know, crazy odds, and I wonder how many times Peter was standing in front of an impossible situation as the leader of the early church, and then he remembered that bag that just kept miraculously filling with bread. In fact, we know that these kinds of things happened for Peter multiple times in his life, Personal ministry will grow your faith in a way like nothing else because you get to see firsthand what God is doing in other people's lives because it's not about you. We make our faith so much about me. But it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about seeing the power of the living God interacting with the lives of people who need him. He says, what you got in your bag bring that here to me. It's called personal ministry. The Bible calls the church the body of Christ. And we're called his hands and his feet. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And I think that's really cool because we get to be his hands and his feet. And we say every week we wanna shine light in dark places. That doesn't mean go to someone's house with our Bible and shine a bright light in their eyes and be like, ha ha. No, it's like go and take our hands and take our feet to their lives and say, how can I take what I've got and use it for you? And a little while ago, you got to meet Ed. He came up on stage. And I gotta be honest, uh, this uh, this is a God thing that Ed was able to be with us here today. Sometimes we'll schedule people to come in, people that we already kind of have a relationship with as a church, but um, I had never met Ed before last week, and and Jeremy gives me a call. I said, man, my buddy Ed's coming through town. He's got this great story. He lives in the Dominican Republic. He's gonna be here on Sunday. Uh, You should hear his story. I'm like, okay. And so Ed and I get on the phone. He's still in the DR, and he calls me, and he says, yeah, And we get to know each other. We swap stories a little bit. But then I begin to hear his story, and i'm like man you my church family needs to hear this guy's story and so ed got to share about his ministry but we're going to even step away back further from that and i want to ask ed to come up he's going to close us out this morning I, and i can't wait for you to hear what god has done as, as ed has taken the stuff that was in his bag and he brought it to god one step at
1: a time and let's see how god moved yeah so what's in your bag you know, and uh, it's amazing because I, you know, my testimony starts, you know, I grew up going to a Catholic church and uh, you always knew there was a God. You know, I mean, you can't look at creation and say this happened by accident. I'm sorry, people, if you believe in evolution and random chance, you're wrong, okay? This was designed by a creator God. And, uh, you know, uh, I became an engineer, so I've got that kind of analytical mind. It's, you know, it's like looking at it my car in the parking lot and say yeah that just happened by accident it just came together you know but I always knew there was a God the Bible says it's a fool that says there is no God you know so if you have atheist friends you can say hey you're a fool no, I Maybe mean, that's not a good evangelism tool uh, but um, I didn't have a relationship with him I went you know and I did the religion thing you know and I, I you know I was baptized I confirmation first communion all that stuff but I didn't have a relationship with God and uh you know, high school came, I started getting into drugs and music and, and looking, because I had this God hole in my heart, and I just kept looking. And, you know, I got into college, and I really, you know, the drugs and alcohol, that really took off, you know. And, and it wasn't doing it, you know, I, I started to I'll, I'll date myself, Followed the Grateful Dead, you guys kids in the front of what? Uh, it's this, this hippie rock band, okay. Um, Followed them for a while, did that, you know, and, and just always looking for for, you know, something to fulfill me, you know, I, I, you know, I got a job, did the corporate America thing, you know, as an engineer, a fortune 500 company, you know, that wasn't working, you know, uh, uh, I got married, Uh, maybe we'll have kids, you know, that, you know, so we started having kids, all this stuff, and I still kept with the alcohol, and it just, it wasn't going anywhere, you know, and I kept trying all these things, you know, I'll buy a boat, you know, I'll buy an antique car, you know, I'll buy these possession things, and that wasn't doing it. And it um, comes along in 2003. I'm at our Christmas party from work, and I got good and drunk. And I'm driving my truck home, and I proceeded to put my truck into a snowbank. And, you know, um, I'm so drunk, I'm puking out the side of the, the window as I'm driving. You know, I mean, I was, you know, and I wound up in jail, and uh, DWI. And it wasn't my first one either. It was my fifth one. And, and I'm sitting in that jail cell. And I'm reflected on my life, you know. I'm like the guy at the edge of the cliff, man. I'm right here. You know, if I take one more step, I'm gonna lose my job, my family, uh, everything I have. I'm just gonna throw it all away, you know. And, and all my best decisions got me to this place. I didn't want to be there. But all my choices, all my best choices got me to that place. And, and, and I just fell to my knees in that jail saying, God, I can't do this anymore. Jesus, I can't do this. I've, I've given my best to do my life, and this is where it's gotten me, you know, and I submitted my life and my will to Jesus Christ, you know, I knew, knew, knew about Jesus, but I never submitted to his lordship, and that's when I was converted, you know, I made him king in my life, if you want this life, here, here are my fish and my loaves, I can't do it, you know, and God instantly I took the compulsion to drink and do drugs away from me. Um, I became a father to my, my my children. Okay, I became a husband to my wife. Uh, um, we were going to this the, this Bible believing church, and, and you know, before that, I was uh, you know one of those people that would come late. You know, for all people people come late, I would uh, come late, try and leave early. You know, I try to be out the door before the pastor could get out and shake hands. You know, um, but um, but after I gave my life to Christ, it's like okay, you know, I see these. Um, these Christians, and, and they've got this, this Bible. And to take it one step back, before I was in the jail cell, back in that August, God showed me a miracle, you know, like the fishes and loaves. Um, my, my youngest daughter was being born, and uh, I'm in the, in the delivery room, right, with my wife, you know, and I'm, I'm with the doctor, we're in the catcher mode, you know, it's, it's you know, behind the plate, and, um, you know, my daughter, Krista, comes out, and the umbilical cord's wrapped around her neck, and she's as black as these jeans, and she's dead. She's not breathing. There's no pulse, no heart rate. And, and doctor, she gets a deer-in-the-headlights look, and she's looking at me. It's like, you want to cut the umbilical cord? I'm like, no. I mean, I, this isn't right. And she literally shakes her head, and she cuts a cord and puts Christ on one of those little stainless tables. It was over in the corner, away from everything else. There's no wires in her, no tubes. And I fell next to the bed. My wife was in. I prayed, God, let this baby live. In that God-perfect instant, she starts crying. And I broke. You know, I was like, okay, God, I know you're real. Now what do you want with me? I'm not a man of inaction, okay? If you ask Jeremy, it's like, I'll do something even if it's wrong, but I'm going to do something, you know? So I didn't know what to do. And I saw these Christians carrying around this book, the Bible, you know, and they, they thought it was pretty important. So I'm like, I don't know, maybe I'll read the book. Maybe that's what God wants, you know, so I, I go to the Christian bookstore with my in-laws who've been praying for me for years, and they're looking at the fancy leather-bound Schofield study Bible, you know, like 60 bucks. Nah, I'm in the bargain bin, you know, I go for $2.99. It's got the paper cover, you know, the fake leather. I'll, I'll read it in case it doesn't work out. <laughs> I don't want to get out 60 bucks. You know? So they go, okay, start in the Gospel of John. And you, maybe, you know, if you, when you're a baby Christian, that's restarted. I'm like, I'm going to read the book. I'm starting on page 1. Genesis 1-1, I'm going to read the book. Oh, you're going to get to Leviticus, and you're going to just drop it out. I'm like, I don't know Leviticus from anybody. I am going to read the book. And I start reading it. And I start going through the Old Testament. And I see these Jews, right? They're being blessed by God, right? And he parts the Red Sea, you know, all this stuff. And they flip the page, and then they're dancing naked around a cow. And I'm like, that's me. My whole life, God's gotten, God, get me out of this jail cell. And he would what would I do? I'd go right back into the mud, you know, and then, you know, came to, you know, a few months later, here I'm in that jail cell, and I give my life to Christ, and God changed everything, you know, my whole outlook on life changed, and I was to be a, a, a contributing member to the church, you know, I started uh, teaching adult Bible uh, 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 Sunday school, you know, I was a year old in the Lord, I'd read through the Bible, I started talking to Different Christians, I ask about, you know, like, hey, what about this? And they, and they get this look. Like, I'm like, you haven't read the book, have you? <laughs> I can't believe this. You haven't read the book. This is a love letter from God, and you haven't even read it. You know, if you read 3.27 chapters of the Bible a day, you get through it in a year. Sorry, that's my engineer head going. But you know, <laughs> read the book. If nothing else, you go away from this day say you know, that guy challenged me. I'm going to read the book. You know, so I started teaching adult Sunday school, you know, and of course it was book of revelation. I'm on the curse if you add anything or take anything away, but I did it. I was available. I gave my fishes and loaves. Okay. So God, uh, they, Hey, do you want to be a trustee in the church? I don't know anything about that. Okay. I'll do it. So I learned about how the church works and the ins and outs of ministry from a practical standpoint. You know, then uh, our pastor came up and me. hey, I want you to start a role about deacons in the church. So I grabbed my buddy Jeremy when I'm going to church. Was hey, you know, let's dial the deacon. You know, we asked him about that. It's this whole program we did. Uh, but anyway, you know, how to be uh, physically minister to the people within the body of Christ. And then I um, was able to be an elder in the church. Um, I had little kids, and God said, you know, open up a door for us to preach in a nursing home. And I was awful. You know, I'd come there, you know, two Sundays a month, and I'd, I'd be nervous, and I'd be reading. There's, you know, eight old ladies out there, you know, but I'd bring my kids. That little kid, oh, as long as I brought the kids, I was in, man. I could preach about anything if bad. Just bring your kids. They just love those kids. But it got me a chance to share the word of God and get in front of people, you know. And I thought all these things are just random, you know. And next thing you know... um. I'm, I'm an engineer at a, this company called Kodak in Rochester. And if you know anything about film, I mean, the company has just imploded, right? There were 70,000 people in the city where I lived working for Kodak. And when I left, there was 2,000. But the day I lost my job at Kodak, God opened the door for me to go to the mission field. You know, and uh, it happened, um, you know, this, this pastor friend of mine sent a devotion. It was, it was a quote from Charles Spurgeon, and I remember it. And it's like, you know, if you're truly children of the living God, at times of adversity... Okay, we're going to turn to our Heavenly Father and not to the things of the world. And I said, wow, thanks. I just lost my job, man. You know, after 16 years. And he's like, well, you lost your job? I'm like, yeah. I was like, but I feel God's calling me to the, the, the mission field. So it was a Wednesday night, and Jeremy and I are working in a food pantry. I'll never forget it. It's like we're trying to hurry up because we're going to go to this other church because there's this missionary there from the Dominican Republic. So Jeremy and I, I, hurry up. We get down there, and we were sitting in the... In the, in the church, and here's this guy up on the platform, and he's telling me my story of how he got called to the mission field 20 years earlier. I mean, he described my, my job, uh, my house, the view from my house, the boat in my driveway, everything to minute detail. The hair is going up on the back of my neck. And what's my buddy Jeremy doing? He's, like, hey, he's talking about you, man. I'm like, I know, man, I know. You know, And I go up and talk to the guy after it's like, hey, I got a heart for missions, lost my job. He's like, well, you know, what do you do? Like, I'm a packaging engineer. I design packages and equipment that manufactures things. And I was like, not really missionary skills, you know. I was like, you want a job? I'm like, okay, God. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but okay. So I go down to the Dominican Republic, and his ministry was looking to, to take the natural resources of this land and make uh, avocado oil, uh, chocolate, uh, dried mangoes, uh, things to generate revenue for, the, for this ministry. And uh, so I bring my wife down. We pray, and, and God is clear. It's like, yes, I want you to go. You know, so we get back and we start raising support. And I'm knocking on all these doors, and nothing's happening. You know, and I'm, God, I'm, I'm laying it all out there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm unemployed. I'm, I'm trying to get support. I'm trying to go to the mission field. Nothing's happening. You know, and then all of a sudden, God said, "Okay." You know, and I'm trying to do it with my strength, but I gave it over to my God. I can't do this. And then He opened the doors, and we start getting support. And within uh, 18 months, we had our full support. And I don't know if you know about missionaries, but it takes years usually to raise your support. And so we get down there, right? And within a matter of months, everything is falling apart. These people weren't the people we thought they were. This farm was no farm. It really needed, all the trees need to be cut down. I'm, I'm standing on the side of a mountain by myself, pruning avocado trees. And it's like, this is just not happening. You know, and everything just fell apart, you know the relationship they thought we were kind of steal their ministry. It was awful, and I'm like god how how did this happen? you know and and I, and I brought my whole family, I mean all our furniture, our car, dog, everything man I mean both feet, and I'm in this third world country, and my whole world's falling apart, and, and I go out of the mountains to where I can get cell signal. I call my pastor back home, pastor Tom I can get him on the phone I'm, I'm pouring my guts out to him, you know, and I tell him, you know I'll go with all this and You know, we'd been going to a a church there, an English church, and the pastor had asked me, it's like, hey, Ed, you know, he didn't know really what was going on. He's like, would you be interested in in pastoring this church plan?" You know, and I didn't pray about it or anything. I said, no, I don't want to be a pastor, you know, so be careful what you tell God you will and won't do. Um, So anyway, so... um, So here I am, my world's falling apart, I'm on the side of the road, and I'm I'm calling my pastor back home, and he's like, you know, the only door open for me right now is to go pastor this church plant, you know? And it's like, I don't want to do that, you know? And he just starts laughing. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, man. My whole world's falling around. a third world country, I'm on the side of the road, and you're laughing at me. He's like, wait, 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 wait a minute. You know, if God told you a year and a half ago, you know, when you started down this path to become a missionary, you were gonna be a pastor of an English-speaking church in a third world country, or you don't know the language, uh, you're going to be a city of 3.8 million people, you're a country boy, uh, you know, you're an engineer with no theological training, would you have went? <laughs> Absolutely not. I don't have that much faith, man. I'm sorry. You know, it's exactly. Sometimes God has to take us around this path to get us where he wants us. He wants us to have this much faith. But if you got that much faith, he's going to use that much faith. Okay. You know, so, you know, we went through and we started, we started off like this, man. We we're, were in a, a public school and uh, we'd have to show up every week, move the desks, clean the floors, set up the chairs, just like here, man. And, and, you know, God's been blessing the ministry and it's been six years now and we're doing all kinds of cool stuff and, and just sharing the love of Christ with people and sharing God's word, you know, and, and it's amazing. But, you know, if I look back to, to 10 years ago or whatever, I had no idea. I was just doing what God put in front of me. So I'm going to leave you today, you know, the the, the personal ministry thing. You know, just do what God's got in front of you. You know, maybe maybe you're a kid in school. Maybe it's like, hey, I can start a Bible study at lunchtime. You know, yeah, some kids maybe mock me out, but you know what? I don't care. I'm going to stand up for Christ. You know, maybe it's in your workplace, you know, doing a Bible study or a home Bible study or whatever. Maybe it's working in the food pantry. Maybe fill in the blanks. I don't know what God's calling you to do you know but he's if you're available he will use you if you choose not to be available he will not use you you know the, the, the disciples didn't say you know oh, i'm not going to hand out that that that, that wouldn't be embarrassing and we've only got two fish and a few loaves i'd be embarrassed to do that they didn't say that did they, they said, okay god okay jesus here we go but hang on because it's going to be a ride you know and it's going to be tough but it's going to be worth it. Amen. Amen. Can we thank Ed for such being?
0: See, like I could have told you about this guy that I knew, but to hear it from his mouth, I'm just going to say this last thing before we move on to just communion time. Uh, Your story may be the most powerful tool you have to show people what God can do in a life. And so thank you, Ed, for that.